This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures today. Today we're going to continue in our studies in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And today we're going to be studying chapter 5. Paul wanted to comfort the Thessalonians about the saints that had passed from this life back in chapter 4. And in chapter 5, Paul instructs them to be ready for the second coming themselves and gives added instructions on how to conduct themselves both with the brethren and with those of the world. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Paul discusses the coming day of the Lord. Now, he was talking about the second coming, but he brings up a new subject on the second coming of Christ there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1. He says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. The word but introduces a new thought on the subject of the second coming of Christ. He mentions times, which is from the Greek word chronos. Strong's defines chronos as a space of time, or in other words, the length of time before the Lord comes. The word seasons from the Greek word kairos, Thayer defi- or excuse me, Strong's defines that as an occasion or what events will happen. Richard Melson in the 1988 Denton Lectures stated this, the times and the seasons could be translated, but concerning the date of the Lord's coming and the characteristics of the period. So that's the times and the seasons he's looking at. And Paul said he didn't need to write them about any of those things. And he tells them why in the next verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.2, they already knew that the day of the Lord's return is unknown. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Uh, Jesus plainly stated this fact several times himself. In Matthew 24.36-39 Matthew chapter 34 verses 30, or 24 verses 36-39 He said, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus here is associating his second coming with what happened back in the days of Noah. Noah was there. He was building the ark. He'd built the ark for a hundred years. First Peter tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. So he would have been warning the people about the flood that is coming and warned them that they needed to get their lives right with God. But what were they doing? Oh, they were just doing the same old thing they always did. And all of a sudden, boom, there was the flood. Well, it's going to be the same way when Jesus comes back. People are warned about the second coming of Christ. They're warned to be ready for it. 
and people are just going to be living their normal lives and all of a sudden, boom, there it's going to be. And they're all not going to be ready. In Matthew 24, 42 to 44 now, Matthew 24, 42 to 44, Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would have come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. So again, Paul tells Thessalonians, you know, you need to be ready. Jesus is telling us we need to be ready. Matthew 25, 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. There's no signs for the coming of the Son of Man. It's just going to happen. But we've been forewarned about it, that it is going to happen. Peter referred to the second coming of the Lord in the same way in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So again, you think about a thief. A thief does not inform his victim of the time and occasion of his coming to rob someone. His coming is at a time that is totally unexpected. <laughs> now, what are the things the Thessalonians knew? Whenever Paul said there, I have no need to write unto you, brethren, what did they know? They know, they knew, the coming of Christ is certain. The knowledge the Thessalonians had that Christ was coming again was certain. And we know that too. The coming of Christ is certain, and we know that he's coming again. But the time and the season when the Lord's come, that is what is uncertain. We don't know that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul explains here the unfaithful will not escape the second coming. 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So in other words, whenever the folks of this world say, oh, everything's safe, everything's secure, then that eternal destruction is going to happen. That is kind of reminds us of the false prophets of the Jews who proclaimed peace when destruction was coming. A couple of examples, Jeremiah 6.14. Jeremiah 6.14. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now, the Babylonians were coming to destroy the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah. And yet the false prophets there were saying, oh no, that's not going to happen. Peace, peace is going to happen. Peace is going to be here. But there was sudden destruction that was coming. Ezekiel 13, 10, another destruction. Uh, uh, another example. Ezekiel 13, 10. Because even when they have seduced my people saying peace, and there was no peace, and one built up a wall, and lo, others daubed it with untempered mortar. In other words, their prophecies had no significance because they weren't from God. Their destruction, they're talking back in 1 Thessalonians 5, their destruction will come suddenly like when a pregnant woman is suddenly seized with birth pains. 
and they shall not escape. Instead of peace and safety, destruction comes upon them as a thief. Or ruin, which was not seen approaching, is now visible to them and upon them, but it is too late. See, those in the days of Noah, Noah tried to warn them. Noah, or the ruin, was approaching, and they didn't see it until the day Noah entered the ark. The rains came. It was visible to them now, but it's too late. Just like in the second coming of Christ. People are just going to be living their lives like normal. They, they, you know, they can know the Lord is coming. That ruin is coming for them. But whenever it's visible, it's on them, it's too late. It's too late to prepare for the end because the end comes suddenly and unexpectedly. You think about the parable there of the ten virgins there in Matthew chapter 25. When the bridegroom came back suddenly and unexpectedly, five of them were not ready. And it was too late to get ready. Only those that were ready were allowed in. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, we have the contrast between those who are not ready that we just looked at for the second coming and those who are. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Okay, the word but there introduces the contrast. The brethren, the faithful brethren there in Thessalonica were not in darkness. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Colossians 1, 13 says, There of God the Father, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. So we have been translated or delivered from darkness. The Thessalonians were not in darkness. We're now in the kingdom of Jesus Christ or the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, 1 Peter 2, 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're no longer in darkness. The faithful child of God is ready for the second coming of Christ. So we shouldn't be taken by surprise when the Lord comes again. <laughs> now we go back there and we look that that they should not overtake them as a thief. The word overtake comes from the Greek word katalambano, and Strong's defines that word this way, to take eagerly, that is seize or possess. So that day is coming. Don't let it seize you. You know it's coming. But you know what? We should also be ready for the day of our death. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Revelation 2, 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. A crown of life. So right there, we need to be ready for the day of our death. 
But you know, if we're ready for the day of our death, we're ready for the second coming of Christ. And if we're ready for the second coming of Christ, then we're ready for the day of our death. So just be ready. And children of light will not be taken by surprise at the second coming. It's not going to surprise us whenever Christ comes back because we're going to be ready. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. says, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. You'll notice the change there that, that Paul changes from ye to we. We are not of night. We are not of darkness. We are children of light. The uh, darkness is used in the New Testament to refer to evil, the evil realm, ignorance. Uh, just some examples, Acts 26, 18. <clears throat> Acts 26, 18, Paul is here uh, recounting what had happened to him there on the road to Damascus back in Acts chapter 9. And he says this is some of the th instructions that Jesus said he was going to be having to follow to the Gentiles here to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So they're going to be turned away from darkness, from ignorance, from the evil realm, from the power of Satan, but unto God. That's in light. In Romans chapter 13, verse 12. Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So the works of darkness, the evil works of darkness, you know, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 gives the works of the flesh. Those are works of darkness. And we need to be put those things away and put on the armor of light. And, you know, light is just the opposite of darkness. We are to be children of light. In John chapter 3, verse 19, John three nineteen. It says, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So right there, people don't like the light. They don't like the light of God's word. They don't like the light of Jesus Christ because they're, they live in darkness and they don't want the light. They don't love the light. They hate the light and love the darkness. <laughs> In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sins. Walk in the light. Our daily walk in this life is to be in the light, just as God is in the light. Brother Robert R. Taylor, Jr., in the work Studies in First and Second Corinthians on page 67, stated this, and I quote, They were not of darkness. Quite to the contrary, Christians are children of light, children of the day. Negatively, Paul assured the Thessalonians that they were not of the night, they do not belong to the realm of darkness. 
Darkness and night are symbols of sin, error, falsehood, and superstition, unquote. So we are not to be children of darkness. We need to be children of light, and we are to always be ready for the coming of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Let us, or <clears throat> excuse me, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. All right, the word therefore, because we're not in darkness, we're in the light, do what we must do to be ready. Now sleep, as we looked at in the previous chapter, in chapter four, sleep there was used as a mild word for death. But here, in 1 Thessalonians 5, sleep is used to represent those who are oblivious and unconcerned about spiritual matters. So he's telling them, do not drift back into carelessness and indifference, but be prepared and ready. You know, Jesus used sleep in this manner also in Mark 13, 35 to 37. Mark 13, 35 to 37. He says, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. The word watch there, gregaruo. Thayer says the second definition of that. Metaphorically, give strict attention to be cautious, active. Watch and be sober. The Greek word nepho. Thayer says that that word nepho means this. To be sober, to be calm and collected in spirit. To be temperate, dispassionate, circumspect. And dispassionate there means rational and impartial. You know, those who are spiritually and morally lax and indifferent to spiritual things are mentioned again in 1 Thessalonians 5.7. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 5.7 says, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. You know, sleep and drunkenness are most often <clears throat> associated with the night. Those who sleep spiritually are indifferent to spiritual matters. They don't care about spiritual matters. Uh, Kelsey, on page 110 of his work on First and Second Thessalonians there, says this about this verse, and I quote, Drunkenness adds to insensitivity. It is therefore to be expected that those who live lives devoid of sobriety, <clears throat> who are drunken and stupefied by sin, should thus be without feeling, unquote. So they are drunk in sin. Well, the faithful Christian casts off these works of darkness and has no fellowship with them. Ephesians 5.11. Ephesians 5.11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So instead of living 
the works of the flesh, the unfruitful works of darkness, stay away from them, avoid them, and speak out against them. Speak out against them. And Christians can maintain a calm life of self-control in knowing what's coming. First Peter chapter five, First Thessalonians chapter five, verse eight. First Thessalonians five eight. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and foreign helmet the hope of salvation. All right, there's that contrast there again. Since we belong to the light, we're to live in a way that harmonizes with that light. Paul now is comparing the Christian to a soldier when he talks about the breastplate of faith and love. Well, that breastplate there guards the heart from evil. And then he mentions the helmet, the hope of salvation that guards the mind from evil. So basically, this is an illustration of a sentry that is on guard and ready for what comes, no matter what it may be, but he's ready for what comes. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, the faithful child of God will not face God's wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, he uses the word for, the Greek word hati. Thayer says it means that, because, or since. Well, God does not want us to face his, face his wrath, so he provided us a way to have salvation. That is a solid reason for Christians to be alert and prepared for Christ's return. And then notice the destiny of the contrast in the destiny of those who are faithful and those who are not faithful. Let's go to Revelation chapter 14. We'll look at verses 10 and 11 first, and then we'll look at verse 13. Revelation 14, 10 and 11. It says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. All right, who are these that are going to face the wine of his wrath forever and ever? Well, here it says those that worship the beast in his image receive the mark of his name. You go back and study of Revelation. The beast was the emperor. His image was a bust of the emperor, the image of the emperor that they worshiped and received this certificate in order they could buy and sell and work, things such as that. In other words, those who are unfaithful, those who worship things other than God, they worship family, prestige, they worship pride, they worship money. Whatever it may be, they put it between them and God. And they're going to face God's wrath eternally. But then in verse 13, you have the other side. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, 
that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Those who are faithful will rest from their labors. Those who are unfaithful have no rest day nor night. A great contrast there. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10, faithful Christians will get to be with the Lord when he returns. 1 Thessalonians 5, 10. It says, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Uh, Brother Dave Miller in the 1988 Denton Lectureship book on page 181 stated this, and I quote, Whether an individual is permitted to live eternally in heaven is not dependent upon whether Christ returns before that individual dies physically. Hence, whether we wake or sleep. Uh, an example, whether we are alive when the Lord comes again or whether we have already died. Rather, whether an individual is permitted to live eternally in heaven is dependent upon how that person lives while he is alive on this earth, unquote. So again, it doesn't matter whether we're dead or alive when Christ comes back. That has nothing to do with our salvation. The only thing that has to do with our salvation is how we lived in this life while we're on this earth. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, because of what's just been stated, Comfort and encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11 Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. Well, since God does not want us to face his wrath, because Christ died to enable us to escape God's wrath, we can encourage and strengthen each other to remain faithful till that great day comes. And that day is coming. <laughs> All right, so he mentions there comfort one another. Parakaleo is the Greek word there, and Thayer's second definition of that word is this. To address, speak to, call to, call upon, which may be done in the way of exhortation, entreaty, comfort, instruction, etc., so comfort one another and edify one another, the Greek word oikodomeo, and again Thayer's second definition of that one, to promote growth in Christian wisdom, affection, grace, virtue, holiness, blessedness. So comfort one another, promote that growth in Christian wisdom with one another through affection, virtue, such things as that. Again, quoting Brother Dave Miller, page 181 and 182 of the 1988 Denton Lectureship book, and I quote, Would to God we had more Christians willing to extend scriptural words of encouragement to other Christians as together we face the trials and tribulations of life, unquote. That is what we're to be doing. Extend these spiritual words of encouragement to each other. And Paul says that's what the brethren in Thessalonica were doing. And that's what we need to do as well. Now the subject changes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 22. In these verses, we're going to find orderly living and performance of social and spiritual duties. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 22. First of all, the first duty that we have 
is a duty to elders. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in, in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. So we see, first of all, they are among us, they labor among us, and they're over us. So we're looking at elders here in the local congregation. The first thing that Paul begs them to do is know the elders. The word know here comes from a Greek word that Thayer defines this way, again in his second definition, to have regard for one, cherish, pay attention to, and he gives the example of 1 Thessalonians 5.12. The labor, uh, excuse me, the elders labor among us. They work hard and unselfishly for the good of the congregation. The elders are over us in the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. 1 Peter 5, 1 to 3. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So the elders admonish the congregation. Uh, the word admonish there, uh, Strong's defines the Greek word translated admonish this way. To put in mind, that is by implication, to caution or reprove gently. That is how they are to do it. And then being at peace with one another, that makes the work of an elder much easier. Uh, Brother Avon Malone in class notes that I took whenever he was teaching on this subject there in Brown Trail, uh, quote him. He says, our responsibility is to respect the leadership Know them, recognize them in their work, esteem them highly in love for his work's sake, unquote. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15, we have duties to other brethren, not just the elders, but to other brethren. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. All right, so what does he say? First of all, he says, warn them that are unruly. Strong's defines the Greek word translated warn in this way. To put in mind, that is by implication, to caution or reprove gently. Those who are unruly. Thayer defines the Greek word translated unruly this way. Disorderly, out of ranks, often so of soldiers. So you've got this group of soldiers out there marching in line doing what they're supposed to do. And you've got this other one out there wandering around. Kind of reminds me of Gomer Pyle. He's just doing his own little thing out there. But that's unruly. You got the group of Christians walking according to the word of God, and you got this one out here wandering around doing his own thing. He's disorderly. He's out of rank. 
And then it says, comfort the feeble-minded. The literal translation says, comfort those that are faint-hearted. Uh, they may be discouraged. They may be anxious. They may be despairing over something, but they're faint-hearted. And we're to comfort them. Thayer translates the Greek word translated comfort this way. To speak to, address one, whether by way of admonition and incentive, or to calm and console. Calm and console those that are faint-hearted. And then support the weak. We're looking at the spiritually weak. You know, we have tender sympathy for them and strengthen them. Let them know that we are with them in this battle that we call life. And then be patient to all or toward all. Thayer gives a lengthy definition here of the word translated patient, but all of this definition fits in being patient with others. This is his definition. To be of a long spirit, not to lose heart. To persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. To be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. To be mild and slow in avenging. To be long-suffering, slow to anger, slow to punish. All of this definition fits being patient with other folks. He then says, do not render evil for evil. In other words, don't give way to vengeful actions. We must not seek to get even with those that mistreat us. Uh, look at an example. Romans 12, 19 to 21. Romans 12, 19 to 21. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. And then Peter also mentions this, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. And we need to follow that which is good. As an example for Christians and non-Christians, Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light shine before everyone. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, and holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We need to be doing those things for our brethren. 
And whenever he mentions their bowels of mercies, what he's talking about there is that we are to have a heart of compassion. A heart of compassion. Now, changing the subject again, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 22, Paul begins discussing their daily Christian duties. Daily Christian duties. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 22. The first Christian duty, rejoice evermore. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and that's what it says. Rejoice evermore. Uh, Kelsey on page 118 of his book stated this, and I quote, The true Christian can always find reason for rejoicing. He rejoices in the newness of life he has found in Christ and in the hope which he shares with other Christians. Even though he is experiencing sorrows and tears and is burdened with life's cares, he can rejoice beneath all these weights, unquote. Rejoice evermore just simply means keep on rejoicing, no matter what may come your way. The next duty for a Christian for daily living is pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Brother Thomas B. Warren in the 1988 Denton Lectureship book on page 196 stated this, and I quote, to pray without ceasing is to live one's life in utter dependence on God and his directions for human life, which are set out in the Bible, unquote. Kelsey on page 118 of his book states this, and I quote him, he does mean for their souls to be constantly elevated to God, and he means for prayer to be constant in the life of the Christian, unquote. It's just basically saying there, have an open line of communication with God. <clears throat> Look at a couple of examples from the Old Testament. In Psalm 55, 17. Psalm 55, 17. It says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. In Daniel 6:10. After Darius had signed the writing that no one was to approach any god or any other being at all except for Darius himself for the next, I believe it was 30 days or whatever, well, Daniel 6.10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So here are just a couple examples of praying without ceasing. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the next Christian duty in daily life, in everything give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. <coughs> well, <coughs> Constant joy and constant prayer will lead to constant giving of thanks. No matter what our circumstances may be, what, no matter whatever thorns may come into our lives, we can give thanks. Paul gives an example of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Philippians 4, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. We're going to look at Philippians 4 next. 
It says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So Paul is saying there, whatever we're going through in this life, it is but a, a light affliction. <clears throat> and there's this far more exceeding eternal weight of glory coming because we're looking at the unseen. We're looking at the spiritual. We're not looking at the things that are temporal, that are temporary. We're looking at the things that are eternal. Now go to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to look at verses 11 to 13. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. He says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abused, or excuse me, abased, and I know how to abound. <clears throat> Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. <clears throat> excuse me. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So right there he's saying no matter what he went through in his life and he experienced everything from one end of the spectrum to the other, he goes, I am content. I can go through all that comes my way in this life through Christ Jesus because he's the one that strengthens me. And we need to have that same attitude. The next Christian daily duty is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Quench not the spirit, which is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Well, in the days of miracles in which Paul was writing this letter, there were those who were concerned about an overenthusiasm of the use of spiritual gifts, which may be the case here. Now, today, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Bible. That's the only way he speaks to us. And we can quench the Holy Spirit today by rejecting his word. Brother Thomas B. Warren again, page 199 of the Denton Lectureship book from 1988. And I quote, How often has it occurred that a man or woman will hear and obey the gospel, live very faithfully in obedience to it for a time, only to allow that flame of truth to be extinguished, unquote. So how sad it is whenever that happens. The next daily <clears throat> Christian duty is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.20. Despise not prophesyings, which is what the verse says. Prophets were those men and women through whom God spoke. In Acts 13.1, it says, Now there were in the church there that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene. So right there, we have those who were prophets and teachers. Uh, we go to Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. says, In the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. 
And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. So there we have men that prophesied. Here we have women that prophesied. But did those women prophesy by usurping authority over the man? We know that that would not be the case because of the command that is given there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. 1 Timothy 2, 10 through 14. It says, But that which becometh, uh, becometh women, professing godliness with good works, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed in Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So Philip's four daughters here who did prophesy would only prophesy in a proper way. That would be before a group of women where no men were present. Uh, Raymond Kelsey again in his book stated this and I quote, Evidently some among the Thessalonians had the tendency to underrate prophecy. They were not attaching the importance of the teachings of the inspired prophets which those teachings deserved, unquote. And again, there may have been those in Thessalonica who claimed to prophesy but were teaching error. And because of that, that may have caused some in Thessalonica to reject all claims of prophecy there. Well, what were they to do? They were to prove all things and cling to that which is good, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. True prophecy is not to be despised, but test everything by the word of God. Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You know, we have Paul, an apostle there, those that were with him there, speaking from God, and what were the Bereans doing? This is what we're talking about here in Acts 17, 11. They were searching the scriptures to prove that what they were being taught was true. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone into the world. And one way, the way, the way that we prove these things, whether they're false prophets or teaching the truth, is by comparing what they teach to the Word of God. You know, I don't care if you have someone preaching to you that's world-renowned and known, or someone that is unknown to anybody but the local congregation. You go to the Bible, and you prove that what they're teaching is true. You don't just trust people. You trust the Word of God. Well, one of the spiritual gifts that was given was to discern. 1 Corinthians 12.10 mentions that. 1 Corinthians 12.10 says, To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. <clears throat> the word discern there, uh, Thayer defines that the Greek word this way, a distinguishing, discerning, judging. 
So this spiritual gift was to judge what was being taught by those who were prophesying. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.29 explains that. 1 Corinthians 14.29. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. So Paul may have been asking the Thessalonians use this spiritual gift. But again today, we need to use the word of God. Today we are to prove all things by the word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. If something is not in harmony with the word of God, reject it. 2 John 9 through 11. 2 John 9 through 11. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bidding Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So if something is not in harmony with the word of God, don't agree with it. Reject it and the individual teaching it. If something is in harmony with the word of God, cling to it. Paul says, hold fast. Uh, Thayer defines the Greek word translated hold fast as to hold fast, keep secure, keep firm possession of. Hold it with your greatest grip. The next daily Christian duty is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Abstain from every form of evil. That's the way the American Standard puts it. The King James puts 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. The literal translation says, keep back from every form of evil. <laughs> well, the word translated appearance or form here, Thayer defines that Greek word as this the external or outward appearance, form, figure, shape. Appearance of evil in this context may refer to false teaching. But regardless if it's referring to false teaching or our daily life, we are to refrain from every form of evil, are we not? If it looks evil, get away from it. Stay away from it. Now, Paul's concluding words are found in verses 23 to 28 of 1 Thessalonians 5. First of all, we have the desire for the Christians in Thessalonica, Paul's desire, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely in other words, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God sanctifies us when we're obedient to his word. The Greek word translated sanctify, Thayer says, means to purify, set apart for his service. So we're purified by God. The Father of peace, the God of peace, and our Father in heaven is the God of peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then Second John 3 says, Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And then Paul mentions there in their body, their soul, and their spirit. The body, the fleshly tent in which we live. The soul, the life which animates the body. The spirit, our nature that is akin to God, our immortal spirit. In Ecclesiastes 3.21, Solomon wrote this, Ecclesiastes 3.21, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? So right there, animals don't have an immortal spirit. Man does. Ecclesiastes 12.7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. And Paul desires the entirety of the Christian to be blameless to the coming of the Lord so we can enter into heaven, so that we can hear those words that Jesus proclaimed in Matthew 25, 31 to 34. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And God is faithful to fulfill his promises. 1 Thessalonians 5:24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. God will do his part in making us totally blameless if we do our part. Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So he can do it. He'll do it if we do our part. In verse 25 of 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, pray for the brethren. Brethren, pray for us. You know, we need and depend on the prayers of our brethren. Paul had mentioned prior in the book here that he, or in the letter, that he prayed for the Thessalonians and now he wants them to pray for him. The Christian's greeting is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.26. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. It was a common way or custom that Christians at that time greeted each other. The kiss served the same purpose as our shaking hands, bumping elbows, or whatever we do to greet our brethren today. That kiss was not sensual or lustful. It demonstrated the proper love brethren had for each other. In 1 Thessalonians 5.27, Paul says, read this letter to all the brethren. 1 Thessalonians 5.27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. This charge shows the necessity and urgency that the Lord's people needed to hear what Paul was inspired to write. Robertson's word picture said this, and I quote, 
Clearly, Paul wrote for the church as a whole and wished the epistles read aloud at a public meeting, unquote. And then Paul's final statement, 1 Thessalonians 5.28, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. W.T. Phillips, Jr., in the 1988 Denton Lectures book on page 218, stated this, and I quote, Paul's desire and wish for his beloved brethren in Thessalonica was that the unmerited favor of the Lord, God's grace, might be or might continue to be evident in their lives. Unquote. What greater desire could we have for our brethren? First Thessalonians 5, a wonderful chapter on informing us always to be ready for the second coming of Christ gives us instructions on our daily living with both our brethren and those who are outside the church. It encourages us to live faithfully until the coming of the Lord, and it shows that God will be with us and will accept us into heaven if we are faithful to him in this life. Again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.